KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. The success of the COVID-19 vaccines utilizing mRNA technology has really raised hopes that mRNA technology could hold a key to success for vaccines for other diseases like HIV. We wanted to dig into that specifically, so we reached out to Dr. Abby Rudolph. She is an associate professor of epidemiology and biostatistics at Temple University's College of Public Health. Give a listen. So to start... We hear so much about these mRNA vaccines, and I know prior to COVID, I mean, not that I was well-versed in epidemiology before uh, the pandemic, but it was not something I had heard of. This is not a new concept, mRNA, and why has it suddenly taken center stage? Vaccine technologies that have used nucleic acids first developed in the 1990s. And so nucleic acids can be either DNA or RNA. And so for a long time, there were a lot of issues around the feasibility of using RNA because it's pretty fragile. So most of the technologies that were using nucleic acids for vaccine development relied on DNA. And so there were recent advances in both research and technology that basically eliminated a lot of these feasibility issues with respect to the viability of using RNA technology and specifically mRNA technology that due to these improvements, they're now a promising alternative to the more conventional vaccines that you might have heard of. One, they are more efficacious. You've seen in the randomized controlled trials that they have larger efficacy than other vaccines using the approaches that we maybe you're more familiar with from the past. They're also really safe to administer. Uh, They don't use a live vaccine, so there's no risk, or an attenuated vaccine, so there's no risk that you're going to become infected with the virus. Basically just a blueprint for developing a protein that trains the body on how to respond to a virus. Um, And then also they can be developed really rapidly. So the way that they work is it's sort of like putting this blueprint inside a Trojan horse And then the Trojan horse goes into the body and releases this blueprint. And so that Trojan horse or the vehicle that allows it to enter can basically be used for any virus or any, the encapsulation is, can be the same for whatever virus you're using it for. So this same technology and this same platform already existed. They hadn't been experimenting with it with other diseases, other infectious diseases like Ebola and HIV for many years. And so when it came around time to develop COVID-19, they basically took the technology that they already had been experimenting with, but might not have been successful for those diseases, and just inserted the genetic material for the protein that they wanted to combat for COVID-19. So it's really easy to just insert new genetic material into this existing sort of Trojan horse or encapsulated you know, lipid particle. And then they're also really easy to manufacture. They're quicker, less expensive. So in terms of global reach, better option in terms of cost and production for low income countries, as well as higher income countries. So with that being said, and before we kind of talk about the the hope, the possibility of, of mRNA and HIV, where are we right now in the fight against HIV AIDS with regards to treatment. 
feels like an awful lot of progress has been made in 40-some years. Where are we? Yeah, so actually June 5th was the 40th anniversary of the um, the MMR uh, report that came out that detailed the first cases of HIV in the U.S. So we're, we're exactly almost at 40 years. And so right now we don't have a cure for HIV, but we do have really effective antiretroviral therapy. And that has basically transformed something that was previously viewed as a death sentence to a chronic disease that can be managed through basically lifelong treatment. And so we have a couple of different ways that we use pharmaceutical interventions for HIV. We use them for both treatment and prevention. And so from the treatment side of things, basically somebody that is infected with HIV will undergo a treatment regimen, which is typically a few different types of antiretroviral drugs combined. And we've brought it down to the point where you only have to take one pill a day. And so when you are adherent to your medication, you can have your viral load suppressed to the point where it's below the level of detection. And in addition to improving your health prognosis when you're adherent to the medication, so reduced um, morbidity and mortality associated with HIV, a longer health prognosis, better health prognosis, but it also reduces the ability for you to transmit HIV to others. So in some large observational studies, they have shown that it is virtually intransmissible through sexual um, contact when you have an undetectable viral load. And so this led to the coining the phrase U equals U, which is undetectable equals untransmissible. The thing that has made, one of the things that's made treatment and cure and also vaccine research really difficult is that HIV also a retrovirus. So it integrates its DNA into, into our cells. It keeps a latent reservoir of HIV in your immune cells. And so when you're on treatment, the viral load is reduced, but it remains latent in these, in these immune cells. And if you stop taking your medication regularly or stop it altogether, then HIV will start replicating again. It'll come out of this latent reservoir. And we haven't gotten to the point where we're able to get it out of the latent reservoir. It basically remains hidden from the treatment strategies that we have. And so the other thing that happens is that if, if your treatment, if you stop your treatment and it starts replicating, HIV also mutates really rapidly. So it can mutate so rapidly that it develops resistance to the treatment regimen that you're currently on, which can lead to treatment failure. And then you need to change your treatment combination therapy. With respect to treatment as prevention, like I was saying before, because when you have an undetectable viral load, you're less likely to transmit to others. They've also developed um, pre-exposure prophylaxis, which is people that are at high risk for HIV can take antiretroviral drugs to regularly to prevent acquisition of HIV. So if they're having sex or injecting drugs with other people that might have HIV, it can prevent acquisition. We've also reduced transmission from mothers to babies from a background rate of 35 or 25% to either less than 5% if they're breastfeeding to less than 2% if they're not breastfeeding, which is, which is a really great reduction. And then we also have like, we have post-exposure prophylaxis. So if you get stuck by a needle or you're a rape victim, we can give you post-exposure prophylaxis to prevent you from developing HIV later. I think you mentioned this earlier in the discussion, but 
mRNA, it had been, it's been looked at when it comes to vaccine development for HIV. I mean, prior to the pandemic, it was something that's been looked at in possibility or, or there might be something there. Yeah. So there's actually, there's actually two lines of two priorities for vaccine research in HIV. Um, so one is the preventative vaccine, which is, you know, prevent you from ever developing HIV. And then the other is to, like I was saying, when you get HIV, you have to take antiretroviral therapy for the rest of your life. And so that can come with toxicity, that can come with side effects. And so the other option is a functional cure. So some sort of vaccine that you can, that can prevent this lifelong treatment regimen with antiretroviral therapy. And so mRNA technologies were pursued for both lines of research and they, most of the most, well, as you know, most of the vaccine research that has gone into HIV so far, although it developed promising results in early trials, didn't really reach levels of efficacy that resulted in anything that is rolled out in the population. But there are some recent, recent more promising results that have been published on. There's two current mRNA-based vaccine approaches that are being pursued in partnership with Moderna, which was one of the developers of the COVID-19 vaccine. And they take two different approaches, and they they were in development before COVID-19, but um, more of the energy and resources were devoted towards COVID-19 over the last year and a half or so. So those are now sort of moving into the next stage of, of trials. Have we learned things by deploying this technology in a mass way in the fight against COVID that will be useful if we're able to, or, or that will be useful in the, the quest to kind of maybe use this technology uh, for HIV? I think with the global scale of COVID-19, we've seen some impacts on what a global vaccination strategy is sort of some of the the points of impact. So things like global distribution, number of vaccines, these regimens that are currently in exploration, some of them also require, at least in the early stages, one requires at least four different shots. So dealing with the timing of the different doses and what that means for vaccine rollout and administration schedules, um, also things like dealing with cold chain requirements and costs. One of the things that was done with the COVID-19 vaccine, it's not necessarily with the mRNA technology. There was a large investment made prior to the development of the vaccination in terms of purchasing them, which did accelerate the, the timeline for developing the vaccine. HIV is a much more complicated virus for many reasons. So I wouldn't necessarily anticipate countries buying or dedicating funds towards purchasing vaccine ahead of manufacturing at this point. How about how the, the, the use of the mRNA, how it has worked in the real world, does that provide any blueprint for a vaccine against HIV. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I think it's one thing to have clinical trials. It's one thing, but to kind of see it out there and see how it works and get the, the data back, does that move the needle at all 
with regards to using this for HIV? I think the main thing that it will do is hopefully instill public trust in this type of vaccination platform. So initially, like you said, it was new and nobody had heard of it. And so that was one of the factors related to hesitation of vaccination. And hopefully with the success of these vaccines, it won't be a barrier to getting vaccines developed with the strategy for other diseases. Um, mRNA vaccines are also used for other non-infectious diseases like cancer and autoimmune diseases. So you might see this technology being deployed in the future for other things. And hopefully now mRNA is more of a household word. And so not quite as scary to people in terms of something that is put into your body that is both safe and effective. But vaccine hesitancy has been a large factor for many, many years. And I'm hoping that the campaigns for delivering COVID-19 vaccination to reduce um, hesitancy and instill public trust can then be capitalized on in, in future cases where we might need to use this vaccine. How long you mentioned the, you know, Moderna with two different ways looking at the vaccine, they're working on it. How long will we have a clearer answer of whether the mRNA is going to be something that can really take the fight to HIV? I mean, I would imagine we're talking still years. Yeah. So I believe that the phase one trial for one of them is supposed to launch in 2021. I guess both of them are supposed to launch sometime in 2021. But from what I had read, we won't really see preliminary data till like maybe 2023. So, and then there's, there are other vaccines for HIV that are in testing that we won't have, we won't have results from for a couple of years. So we're still several years away from, from knowing whether they will work. Are you optimistic, not about specifically, but just with the progress we've made with treatment? with these, the work on these vaccines, are you optimistic that we are getting close to a point where we can say we can see the end, the light at the end of the tunnel with regards to, to HIV, or is it still too much of a moving target to be that optimistic? Well, there wouldn't be the investment of resources into the technology and the research if people didn't believe it was possible. There's just been you know, many, many years of vaccine development where people have had high hopes and they haven't turned out to lead to something that we can implement. So from a, a researcher's standpoint of view, there's always sort of, you know, wait and see if it works. Don't get your hopes up too much early on. But this, this disease has more complications than COVID-19 in addition to the latent reservoir, which is which is very, very tricky to deal with. There's also much more genetic variability. So with COVID-19, you've probably heard about the different variants and, you know, trying to figure out whether the different, whether each vaccine basically is equally effective or less effective against certain variants and whether it's going to be effective against new variants that develop that might be more transmissible or more deadly. And so 
HIV is actually much greater genetic variability. So instead of just one virus, there's basically two different strains. There's HIV-1 and HIV-2. HIV-1 is the most common type, and they share about 55%, uh, sorry, 55% genetically distinct. And then within HIV-1, which is the common type, there are subgroups. And within the subgroups, there are subtypes. And so like subtype B, for example, is the predominant strain in Europe and North America. Subtype A and C are predominantly in Eastern and Southern Africa. And so we need to make a vaccine that is going to be able to deal with all of these different genetic variations. So what is being pursued in this line of work right now is something called um, broadly neutralizing antibodies. So basically trying to figure out the common pieces of these different structures and target um, those regions. So there are a couple of different approaches to do that. So the same, the same basic technology with the COVID-19 vaccine, but instead of, so one of these Moderna vaccines, instead of putting in part of the spike protein. So HIV also has something like a spike protein. It has envelope proteins that bind to the cells and cause infection. And so what we need to do is try to figure out on those different subtypes of the virus that are most common in different regions of the world, have to figure out what is the common pieces on each of those and either target those common areas, or we have to put in in different vaccinations, the second strategy is that we take a piece that is responsive to the A subtype, the B subtype, the C subtype, and other proteins, and we put all of those in. So we basically hope that whatever comes at it, the vaccine can respond to it. So two approaches are either put sort of a, a mix of different antibodies that respond to whatever might come at it, and the other is to target these common areas that they all share, but it's complicated. Overall, the 30,000 foot view has the pandemic, the focus on vaccines, has it overall renewed the push for vaccine development, vaccine research in a, a lot of different fields because maybe there's a market there's that wasn't there in December of 2019, like, could we be entering a golden age here of research? And because of uh, what we went through with the pandemic uh, for vaccines, kind of overall? Anytime you have a glimmer of success, it instills hope in researchers and in funding agencies to put more resources in there that it will work for other things. So this is a, this is a huge success story for mRNA vaccines. And the fact that these other groups that have developed pieces that can go towards an HIV vaccine have already partnered now with Moderna to move it into the mRNA stage, I think is very promising moving forward. So I think anytime you see some success, you know, this is the first big success with mRNA vaccines. And so I think that there will be a lot of research into this area and hopefully it'll lead to promising developments. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. 